and thank you for listening to Literacy Matters. I'm your host, Cheryl Lundy-Swift. Today, I'm here with Dr. Eliza Braden, Associate Professor at the University of South Carolina and co-author of Revolutionary Love. Welcome to the show, Dr. Braden. Thank you for having me. It's so great. I'm super excited uh, to talk to you. As, as I mentioned, you are the author or co-author of Revolutionary Love. I want to know, what is it? What is Revolutionary Love? Um, revolutionary Love is what we define as thick transformational love. Um, and that comes from the, the words of Toni Morrison. That's not our words. That's actually from Toni Morrison, um, such a wonderful author. And we really define revolutionary love is that love in which you are unpacking policies, you're unpacking curriculum um, so that you can affirm the culture, the language of the students that sit within your classrooms, within your school, within your district. And so we believe that in order to engage in humanizing practices, you have to do that deep dive, that introspection of those practices, the curriculum that, uh, and those policies that surround the child every day. And so revolutionary love is meaning that you're moving in ways that is transformational and you're moving in ways that will humanize the students that are within your school. I love that concept of humanizing students. I find that, um, you know, oftentimes we get into these, um, into schools uh, and forget that we are human beings. Teachers forget, students forget. Um, I remember students of mine thinking that, you know, you, you live at the school, you know, that, that you, don't, you don't go to the grocery store or what have you. So I love that idea. Can you tell me about a particular student uh, who you saw this transformation um, work with. Um, so, um, you know, you call it revolutionary love. Like, when did it show up for you, this concept? I think for me, it was a, as a classroom teacher. And what I love about our book is that we give authentic stories about our own experiences in schools, primarily public schools, which we honor and we love public education, but we understand there were instances where instances where our teachers did not lean back on the experiences, the literacies that we were bringing from so many contexts. Mm -hmm. And so it was as a classroom teacher that I recognized that I needed to know a bit more about the issues, the community in which my students were coming from. And there was a really a xenophobic um, policy or immigration bill that was in our state at the time when I was a classroom teacher. Mm. And I was thinking to myself, what can I do? I'm just a classroom teacher, what can I do? You know, legislators aren't going to listen to me. But I knew how my students were feeling at the time when these xenophobic policies were, our, our bills were coming across um, um, the legislature, legislature at the time. And so what I did, I designed an immigration unit for my students to kind of help them make sense of those policies, but to react um, by writing and reading, um, talking, 
um, actually engaging in some digital literacies at the time. And so I saw reticent students. I saw students who weren't speaking often in class during whole group meetings. They were off, they were just coming alive. Like they were, they had so much to tell, not about just their story, but the stories of others, the stories of their families, the stories of their neighbors, the stories of the people that matter to them. And they were comparing them to the stories that we were um, sharing in our classroom together. And so that was a time where I really saw a student, the first time I saw a student really um, and many students, not just one, but I have one that's sticking out to me right now that was really touched by the practices that I was employing in my classroom um, at that, that level. And I think that really showed me that this work is not something that you're going to always find in the book you're not going to find in a program, mm -hmm. someone is not going to tell you. And that's what revolutionary love means, that you move in ways that hits the heart and minds of your students. You do what is right on their behalf. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, that, I would say, that would be the, the student or the, the group of students that I can refer to. I love that. So you saw them come alive. I mean, there's mm -hmm. there's nothing like that as an educator to see students uh, mm -hmm. really engage in ways that you may not have seen them engage in the work. But when you think about um, providing that professional learning that's so needed, is there a model particular in particular for this kind of work? Uh, so in order to have that revolutionary love, like is there a model that that leaders can then point to 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 do to provide that professional learning? Okay. Um, I think the model, the framework that we outline in our book is a great framework to employ. Understanding that teachers have to believe. So we look first at our beliefs. Okay. Yep. <laughs> uh, we have to look at our beliefs first, and which I just spoke previously about that introspection of self. And that's an important component to it. Another model is to, um, they have to know more about their students. They have to know their curriculum. So that means that might be engaging in book studies, um, looking um, more at other schools, um, aspirant schools who are doing the work that they, they want to do um, and to see those changes that um, are needed on behalf of their students. And then the following component of our framework is to do. That's the actions, that's the practices that they, they need to, um, or they will want to employ. So I think that believe no do framework. And so when uh, we as co-authors work with schools and consult with them, we often spend that first year really just helping teachers engage in that introspection. And then the second part is to really um, get to know their curriculum, look at the ways in which that curriculum meets the needs of your students, but does not also meet the needs of your students. And then moving to, okay, what now? How can we re-envision or create a curriculum that is affirming 
um, of our students. Awesome. So believe, no do. And where could people find more information about that uh, professional learning model, believe, no do? Well, you can actually find it in <laughs> Revolutionary Love, our Got book. It. Awesome. So please, you can find the book on scholastic.com or you can find it on Amazon as well. But you can find the model there. And we have uh, model teachers and also classrooms and, um, you know, schools in which uh, they have used this model and have found it to be um, powerful for their students and also for their teachers as well. So I'm imagining the teachers are, are out there listening going, you know, how can I get started? <laughs> so can you tell us, Dr. Braden, how can teachers get started in this work? Another step is to really get to build a community of your own classroom, you know, starting by looking at positive affirmations. Where are you affirming positive affirmations of your students? Do they see themselves on the wall? Like if I go in a classroom and I look around the wall and all I see is something that is reproducible <laughs> um, and there's no indication where I can see the faces of the child or the families within that school that tells me something. So do the kids see themselves or do they, you know, even if it's stock photos, that's fine, you know. Do they see themselves represented? Do they see their stories lifted within your classroom library? Um, are there opportunities for students to, um, to, to uh, collaborate and share who they are? So one teacher in the book uh, that we highlight, he does something called family time. And so that builds community where they can talk about as a family. And when he starts his school year, he says, we are a family. Sometimes we get along and sometimes we do not get along. And that's what families do. But no matter what, right? <laughs> Real families, you sometimes you don't just like them. <laughs> They're like, man, but we're blood. Right. But um, so sometimes we get along and sometimes we don't get along. But no matter what, we are going to get through these hard moments. So they have hard right. conversations, but they have joyful moments at, 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 at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so we believe in starting with um, the community. There's another teacher that we highlight. Um, she does affirmation and a lot of teachers we know do positive affirmations. She uses the book, um, 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 Every Good Thing. Um, um, and so she uses that and she constructed an affirmation which the kids say every single day at the beginning wow. of, the, of, 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 of class time. So that's, that's, those are just a few ways in which you can start. I love that. I love those ideas for sure. I mean, there's so much, um, there's so much when you continue to repeat mm -hmm. something positive, there's so mm -hmm. much power in, in doing that. Um, and I've been able to see some of those uh, classrooms that are doing that really well on Instagram. Those, mm -hmm. those are videos that I love to watch over and over again. Mm -hmm. So something that I would always ask my staff when I, there was an initiative that maybe they didn't really, really want to do, um, but I felt like the, the impact was great is I would always ask them, what was the impact of not doing something? Mm -hmm. 
and um, so, so to look at it, not just at the positives, but what, what, if, what if we don't do it? Will it, will it have an impact at all? And, and looking at it from that perspective, what generally always kind of change their minds. So I have to ask you this question, what's the impact of not doing this work, of not um, having a revolutionary love practice? I think the impact of not doing this work is not really, you will not, I don't want, I don't want to say you can't, but you will never be sure if you've truly tapped fully into, to, into students' full capacities. You know, right, they're full genius, as Dr. Goldie Muhammad says, they're full joy. You and we, as I said before, we use instances from our own experiences as classroom teachers in this book or experiences as, um, as children in schools. And there were plenty opportunities in which missed opportunities in which, um, experiences could be tapped into, you know? And so I often think if I don't do this work, what am I missing about this student? You know, um, every child that comes into your classroom has a capacity, they have a knowledge that often has not been um, really affirmed and tapped. And so my goal, every time I meet a child, every time I meet a student is to know what it is. I want to know what they are, what brings them joy, what yeah. put a, puts a spark in their eye. And, and that is what I try to hone in on. And yeah. often it's things as such as simple as their family members. You know, it's particular stories, it's particular people. So what brings joy to one child is something that is a little bit different for another child. It's a different person and I need to know who that person is. Sometimes it's a brother, sometimes it's a godmother, sometimes it's an uncle or a coach, sometimes it's it's a particular experience that they had Um, or it's a, a person who's a mechanic that they learn entrepreneurial skills from. So when I have this economics unit, I'm going to bring in that uncle who's a mechanic who has these, you know, these particular skills who owns this shop to teach this around this particular unit. And I can teach these particular aspects of economics. It doesn't matter. So I learn about what brings them joy. And then I think about the things that I'm expected to teach and what I also need to be teaching at the same time. And I always connect the two. So that means I have to listen to kids. Yeah. And before I go into classrooms and I work with any uh, group of teachers and my co-authors as well, when we work with teachers, we just listen. We immerse ourselves. We don't go in saying we know the answer. I don't know the answer because in one classroom, um, it, this might work in another classroom, this might work. And so there are patterns between kids, you know, a lot of children love TikTok right now. So you can't go wrong with TikTok. (laughs) A lot of kids, you know, language, you know, colloquialisms, you know, life, 
life be liking, lifing, you know, <laughs> that beef is beefing, you know, there's certain patterns in um, our, in the culture of our children that you can draw upon, but still you have to know who they are because they are not a homogenous group. Um, so we will be doing them a disservice if we think have that thinking that you can just use the same practice with every classroom, every child. But there are particular nuances that you can draw upon that works really well. In our book, we, um, we have a great inventory, or actually more than one inventory that teachers can use that ask particular questions which help you draw out some of those experiences from your kids. Hmm. Um, like what's the story that made you smile? That's one question on the inventory. Yeah. Who's a person that's a, a reader or who's a good oral storytelling? Often kids are asked that question. They're asked on inventories at the beginning of the school year, who's a great writer or who's a good reader? But that's an assumption that traditional texts in, 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 and also traditional encoding is the only way you tell stories and write stories. So right. we bring in oral storytelling that serves as a lineage and connection to um, indigenous and black and, 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 you know, and Latinx and different uh, cultures. So we, we do that, I think, really well in the book. That's fantastic. I, you know, um... It is, it is important. I mean, no one's ever asked me as a child who's the oral storyteller in my family. And there were many, <laughs> there are many. which is where I think I, I get the gift of gab as well. Um, you have so much richness in your book, uh, Revolutionary Love. Um, it strikes me that one of the persuasive truths is that revolutionary love is about bringing love to children, right? Mm -hmm. About, you know, seeing that joy that you've mentioned, um, that spark, whether it's their learning or whether it's literacy. Um, but I think also it does bring much needed love to educators, especially at this time where educators are feeling um, overwhelmed and underappreciated. Um, can you say a few final words about what you've seen in terms of the healing and renewal power of revolutionary love as it relates to educators? Yes, I think right now with so many mandates mm. um, coming and moving through this pandemic, teachers are tired, administrators are tired. Everyone inside a school is tired, even the custodian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, you know, they're tired. And I think when um, educators can see the joy and the love that comes through in in students work as a result of the time spent in them um, using their knowledge space to enact uh, more affirming and, and more joyful learning inside of their classrooms, they, um, that is healing for them. You know, that has always been healing for me. When a, a spark, you know, happens, and I can see it in their eyes in a, in a student, that brings healing for me. Um, also when families, you know, you want to know as an educator that, hey, I'm making a difference, but the people that mean the most to the students in my classroom, they see me, you know, yeah. they see how hard I'm working with their child. 
And so I think when they hear the words from family members, um, and I've sat on some SIC, uh, student improvement councils and families, they talk about what they're noticing, what comes home with their kids, um, the type, what brings, you know, what makes their child so happy in regards to being a particular teacher's classroom who's doing this work. I think that's healing, right? Because we get so bogged down in all of these mandates and legislation, um, but no matter what, we do it on behalf of children. Right. And so because if you're focused on doing the work on behalf of children, then that is healing. You know, you're doing good work. Yes. Um, so. That's awesome. Well, I certainly appreciate your expertise and your work um, and looking forward to diving even more deep into your uh, revolutionary love work. So thank you for being with us today, Dr. Braden. Thank you. So I have to tell you that, you know, and I, I'm not going to hit, hit stop just yet because I do want to get okay. this recorded just because I want to say it. Um, it doesn't have to be used and I'm not expecting it to be used. But the whole time I've been fighting back tears since about question number two. Oh. And the reason that I say that is because I just think about, um, I have a teacher in particular mm-hmm. um, who was, who showed me revolutionary love in a way that um, changed my trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um her name was Dr. Boiling, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know why it's so emotional today because I've told this story before. Um, but I was in what's called general education classes, and in in the country, as you know, they track you. Mm-hmm. So they track you by your income of your family, your education of your family. And I would do my work. She was a science teacher. I would do my work. And I put my head down or, or I just kind of sit there um, in these general education classes. And then one day she came up to me and said, come with me, come with me. We're going to the office. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I shouldn't have put my head down. I'm going to get in trouble. So she grabs my hand and she like marches me down to the office and she goes past the secretary who is upset that she's kind of barging in. And she's saying, no, 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 the door's closed. You can't go in there. And she walks into the principal's office And she says, take her out of these general education classes right now or I'm going to quit. Mm -hmm. And I remember being standing there being like, what is happening? And then then the principal said, what? And so she says, you take her out of these classes right now or I'm going to quit today. And I remember like just standing there and like, what do I do? What do I do? And um, and then he said, like, as if I wasn't standing there, well, what if she doesn't do well? And so she chuckled and said, I don't think we have to worry about that. And so the next thing I know, it, and it wasn't even like the next day, like they switched my classes in that moment. And so that gave me exposure to colleges, which I would not have had in the general education track. Mm-hmm. And here I am today. Yeah. So people need to see who we are and know who we are beyond what is on paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I appreciate the work. Yeah. 
Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> she was a revolutionary lover. Yeah, yeah. Those I mean, are the teachers you who advocate for you. They see you. Yeah. They know. They push you yeah. into spaces where people might say you don't belong, or um, the next summer program, or the next camp, or the next yep. uh, gifted and talented classes. Um, those are the people, the teachers who, um, who really do the work that we're talking about in, in, in our book, sure. right? Because every child, every child needs a teacher like that. Oh yeah. And look, and look at you now, right? Look at you now. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank of you course. Thank you. Thank you. So I appreciate it. And, and uh, we'll be in touch. Okay. Great. Great.